You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. And so uh, we actually have a wonderful treat today. We've got friends coming all the way from Texas. And whenever we have anybody to come in, I like to spend time talking about the apostolic and the reasons for connections. And as I was looking into it this week, uh, there was a passage I came across out of Romans. And I read the whole thing on Thursday and realized it's a little long. Um, and, but one of the interesting things I noted about this passage is it doesn't explicitly talk about the apostolic. But what it is... Um, Paul is writing to the church that has been planted in Rome, and the whole book of Romans, that whole letter, is laying down foundations for them. At the very end of it, he says, and by the way, would you greet, and he lists 26 different names of people. And I just thought about that. It can feel very much like when we go through a lineage, and it's just, oh, this is tedious. But those 26 specific names are his friends and his family. These are people he knew people he worked together with, people he did ministry with, people that came along together, they built together, they're friends. It's more than just people that also lead a church. It's more than just people that were, had the right skills and so we sent them away. They are our friends. We build relationship first, during, and after the things we do. That is why we do these things together. That is what God has called us to community for, to build these deep and abiding friendships with one another. And so when I'm going to ask them to come up, I'm inviting up our friends, friends that have been with us for years and years and years. (laughs) They reminded me I was getting older this weekend, so (laughs) as if the gray hairs didn't already do that. Um, and so I want to call up Rachel first and let her have a chance to say hello. Good morning, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> the expected greeting from Texas. We're originally from California, but we've been in Texas for 15, almost 16 years, and God called us there. We absolutely love it and uh, love being there. But y'all are a home away from home. There are so many of you in this room that are family to us, and we feel very honored to be here and privileged to be here. Um, worship. Guys, whew, that was just powerful. God's presence is here. I am convinced that there is no better place to be on a Sunday than together with God's people. Right? God's reminding us of who he is. He's with us. He loves us. He's almighty. We're reminding each other as I'm hearing you sing, my faith is stirred. Like, yes, that's who our God is. And just being filled with faith and, and impacted for our time here together, it's priceless and it's beautiful. And then we're sent out into the world with such faith and expectation that Jesus is doing things in us and through us. So, I just, wow, this morning's just been so precious. And um, God's presence is here. I'm so proud of this team. We have come for a long time. Joe, that was a little much. We're not that old. (laughs) You were very dramatic there. (laughs) Uh, But we are so grateful for the friendship that we have with you. And it's just amazing to come year after year and see 
just the incredible thing, things that God's doing here. This team, you are doing a remarkable job, and just applaud them. They're wonderful. Love you guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for opening your hearts to us. It's awesome to be with you. Amen. All right, and bring up Mr. Brian Barr. I'm going to pray over you, sir. Lord, we thank you for Brian. Uh, we thank you for the friendship. We thank you for the gifting that you've placed upon him, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the message that you have prepared in his heart to deliver this morning. We just pray that our hearts and our minds are prepared to receive it and hear clearly what you have from it, Lord. Amen. 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 Oh, it's fantastic to be with you. Um, we've been coming for a while, uh, so if you recognize our face... Hey, you're one of the people that have been here for a while. If you don't recognize our face, welcome to West Side. This is an awesome church. Um, my parents send their warmest greetings. Uh, they love you guys. Uh, they are a gift to our church. They are just absolutely rocking. Their community group's the best community group. They're constantly multiplying. He goes through the foyer and says, hey, do you want to come to a community group? Our community group has the best desserts, bar none. And... Um, so um, it is great to it's great to have them with us. It really is a gift to us. When uh, we responded to the call to move to Texas to plant a church, we really had to say goodbye to close connections to family, and uh, never really thought that we would be connected in the same church. And it is a massive gift to have my sister, her family, my parents all together. My grandma coming to our church. Um, you guys might know my grandma, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just want to commend uh, Joe and Emily and the eldership team. It's, yeah. So it's great to see that this church is still humming along, and you guys are doing great, and so many people added. So I commend you guys. I am celebrating the work that God is doing in this church, the work that God is doing in your lives and through your lives. It's beautiful. And uh, this is what we want to see happen over and over again. All right, let's get into it. Um, open up your Bibles to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. I'm going to share this morning something of a prophetic word. Uh, we're not going to work through a passage of scripture. Typically, that's what happens when uh, someone preaches. Uh, this morning, what I feel on my heart is more of a prophetic message. We're going to look at a passage, and, and uh, I'm going to share some things that I feel like God is speaking to uh, the American church, to us as a church. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, it's not that I am going to rail against the American church, like uh, it's horrible and bad, but we are Christians in America. And when we look at the generalization of the church in America, there's some issues and there's some problems. And I think uh, the people that God is calling to fix some of the problems that we're facing in the church in America are Christians. Who else is going to fix it? And so Christians need to rise up and determine, hey, this is, these things are wrong and we need to be the church that Jesus has in mind. Um, a few months ago, we were praying about whether we should uh, start a new building project. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we just finished building a new building two years ago. We had a massive building campaign. It's an amazing story. We built a new building, and in less than two years, it is completely full. Um, and we're just saying God's grace. And so we're praying, oh my gosh, what do we do next? 
And so we were praying whether we should build another building so that we can make some expansions to our current auditorium and facilitate more people each service. And it was a daunting thing. Like it's a daunting thing as a leader to stand before people and say, hey, we need your money. This is a financial campaign. Everybody needs to dig deep and give. We, we did that already. And then two years later, we're doing it again. Uh, we, didn't, we don't take that as a light thing. And, and so we spent a lot of time in prayer, just making God, is this you? Is this you? Is this what you have for us? And we looked at planning a church and we came to the conclusion that God wanted us to st- to stay together and to increase our base so that we could be a headquarters of all that God wants to do for the next 20, 30 years. And so that was a conviction of us. And that's, that's where we're at presently right now. And so one of our elders, he's a marketplace elder, so he doesn't get paid by the church, but um, he's just a phenomenal guy. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. And so he took off two days of work. Like he took vacation time, went away and prayed and fasted to, to hear from God what we should do. And uh, when he came back, we had an elders getaway at the beginning of the year where we just spent some, a couple days praying and, and uh, um, uh, discussing, uh, hearing from God together. He came to us with this passage in Isaiah 58, and immediately it resonated with our heart. And we believe it was for our church, but, but broader than that, we believe it's for the church in America. God wants to do something. I believe that God wants to do something, that, there's, that we're seeing signs of potential awakening in the church in America today. And I, I don't want to miss it. I want to be part of it. And so we need to be very keen in our uh, attention and focus, listening to what God has from us and what he wants to do. So this is a, two pictures that I'm going to present. We can read through the whole Isaiah 58. We're just going to look at two pictures, talk about them, hopefully uh, be inspired and hear what God has to say to us. These are, this is intended to be encouraging. So I want to encourage you guys. So before we get to these two verses, we're going to give some context, and then we'll get to the two verses. The two verses are short, but we will finally get to the two verses, okay? So Isaiah 58, context. Uh, this is a prophecy where Isaiah is writing to a particular people, to a particular place, and to a particular time. So we can say that this message isn't written to us, But that doesn't mean that this message isn't written for us because we are God's people and God's word has eternal value and God's heart for his people then is the same that heart that he has for us today. So Isaiah's prophecy rightly inspires more prophecy. And so I want us to look at this and and receive it as a, a word from God, which I believe that it is. Isaiah 58 is a conditional promise. There's this amazing invitation that uh, Isaiah gives the people, but it's conditional. It's conditional on the response of the people to God's word through Isaiah. It's, there's this passage, this chapter is written with a bunch of if-then statements. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do this. And so what Isaiah calls the people to do is he calls them to repent, to change their ways. And here's what the people at that time were doing. The the people of God were engaged in religious practices where their heart was far from God. They were actually looking pretty spiritual. They were doing all the things. They were were going to, to the temple. They were going to church. They were worshiping. They were praying. They were so hardcore in their faith that they were fasting. They were doing all the religious things. They were doing awesome things, but... 
God knows what they were doing. And Isaiah prophesies and says, hey, hey, like you're living outwardly as you are religious, but, but your practices are all out of alignment with your profession. You're mistreating people. You're not doing the things that God clearly has re- required. You're not living righteously. You're participating in injustice and oppression, and you're fighting and hurting with one another. There's all kinds of divisiveness. You're not caring for the poor. And this was an indictment against them. And here's what he says. You are seeking your own pleasure. Like you're going through these religious motions, looking all spiritual, but in your heart of hearts, what you truly desire is your own pleasure, your own comfort. It is all about you. And so in response, God says, I'm not going to hear you until your entire life, your heart, your actions, your behavior inside the church, outside the church, all come into alignment. Then I will hear you. And unless you repent um, and bring your entire life under the submission of God, I'm not going to bless you. I don't just want your religious practices. I want your obedience in all areas of your life. I want you to live according to my ways, is what he's saying. And these are what these if-then statements come in. If you turn from your ways, then I will bless you. And the, and the promises that God gives his people are phenomenal. Like, God's desire is to bless his people. He's a generous, kind, benevolent God that wants to generously bless his people, but it requires something from us. And we as God's people need to listen to the call. We need to listen and respond. We cannot expect God to bless us if we are not wholeheartedly following him in all areas of our lives. And this is true. Now, some people push against this and say, wait a second, we're saved by grace. Jesus does it all. And that's, that is true. We are saved by grace. We are saved by no means of our own. We're saved by Jesus. He's, he completes our salvation. He begins it. He sustains it. He completes it. It's all Jesus. But within the Christian life, we are entering into a relationship with God, and that relationship requires something of us. Like, look at John 15. If you're uncomfortable with the if-then statements, like, New Testament is loaded with if-then statements. If you abide in me, then you're going to bear much fruit. And the consequence, if you don't abide in me, apart from me, you could do nothing. Like, we need to embrace the truth that there is a bunch of if-then statements that requires us to do something. There's things that God will not do if we don't do our part. So we must respond to the invitation. So let's just like take a second here. What's potentially at risk if we're not doing what God clearly tells us to do? God is right, right here, present. It's like, I'm ready to bless you. I'm ready to bless the church. But I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. What are the ways, what are the ways that we are withholding, stopping the blessing of God to work in his church and through his church. So Isaiah 58, 11 and 12, we're just going to read two verses. Here is what God says to the people through Isaiah. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, I have been captivated by the picture 
that is presented here. What God wants to do in the church is beautiful. What God wants to do in our lives is beautiful. So let's just work through it and hopefully we'll be encouraged. You guys ready? All right. So it says that we're to be a well-watered garden. I love this picture of the church. Think about what the church is. We have so many ideas of what the church is. I love this picture that we as the church are to be a well-watered garden. And this passage says that it's a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Uh, Water throughout scripture is is, um, used to demonstrate the life of God. Where the water is, there the life of God is. And in the church, there should be the life of God. There should be God's presence amongst us. There should be the activity of God amongst us. Where where the church isn't just going through the motions, where we're not pretending that God is really amongst us, where we're not manufacturing hype and energy and then labeling God's activity. No, where we actually see God actively working among us. That, that's what we want to see in, in the church. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to pour out his blessing and he wants the church to be a well-watered garden whose springs do not fail. Amen. Like we want to be a church where people could come in and say, wow, the presence of God is surely among you. Like constantly coming in. And that's one of the things that we're starting to see in our church um, over and over again, people come in, I just had to come. Like, I'm so offended by your belief in, in the fact that you're charismatics. But the truth is, I, there's nowhere else that I could go where I could experience God's presence. I just want to experience God's presence. I mean, I have a, we have a leader that's been coming to our church, and he's a prominent leader. You probably know him. Um, and he's gotten burned in his previous church experience, and so he's just sitting in our pews. He's been he's coming for like eight weeks. And he cannot go through a service without weeping profusely because God is meeting with him in a powerful way. It's the presence of God. And God wants to pour out his spirit. We, we have uh, our elder, the Chris Mayfield, the guy that took the marketplace elder that took a day off to go pray. He's just a phenomenal elder. So he is um, always working at the church, serving people, caring for people, praying for people. Just doing, like this guy is full on. And every once in a while, he will go have a little me time and he'll go paddle boarding. That's like all, like a little moment of his life. He goes paddle boarding and he goes for hours and he prays and he's watching the sunset. Like this is his moment to be refreshed. And so he just has a great session. He's coming back and uh, he's loading his paddle board. He's going to go have dinner with his family. And this guy comes up to him in desperation. He goes, man, I I was at the dock. I I dropped my keys and I can't find them anywhere. And, and, um, like my wife, she needs me to get home and my phone's in the car. I can't call her and I need to drive her to work. I'm in like big trouble. So he's just like, man, oh, it's like, I don't want to help you. (laughs) You know, he just says, all right, man, I'm going to help you. And so he says, all right, let's go to the hardware store. So they're driving to the hardware store. They're going to buy a big magnet. This is a strategy, big magnet with a pole attached to it. And so they're doing that. He doesn't have his wallet, so Chris has to pay for it. And so through the course of the process, this guy's telling a story. They just, their baby just died. 
and they're going through tragedy at every single level. So he's, he's just beginning to minister to him and to speak into his life. And so they get the hardware store, they get back, and, and they're about to stick the stick in the water with the magnet attached to it. And Chris says, hey, man, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God works powerfully today. I just want to pray that God helps us find the keys. He goes, Sure. So the guy sticks the pole in the water, pulls the pole out of the water. The keys are attached to it. <laughs> yeah, so cool. So Chris goes, hey, um, <laughs> no, the guy goes, um, I'm coming to your church on Sunday. <laughs> so what are we preaching the Sunday that he comes? We're talking about being born again. So at the end of service, I said, I'm not going to do any hype. I'm not going to ask you to reach around, grab your friend's hand, squeeze their hand if they want to give their life to Jesus. We're not doing any tricks here. If anybody wants to receive Christ and declare that he is their Lord and Savior for the first time, stand up right now. And he was the first guy to stand up. Ten other people stood up, and Jesus weeping and weeping and weeping uncontrollably. Like, man, we want the activity of God among us. I mean, that's a small story, but there's so many points where, like, we can have contrived any of that. Like, God came through in a powerful way, and we want the activity of God amongst us. We want his power to be made manifest in a thousand different ways. We want to see God at work. So I love this picture of a garden. God's people are described as the garden. And this is the church. And the garden is different than any old field because there's order. There's an intentionality. There's a plan. Right? So like, you, it doesn't take a genius. It's like, oh, that's an empty field that nobody cares about. That's a garden. How do we know it's a garden? There's order. There's structure. There's purpose. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out. So a garden is different than any old field because there's intentionality, but a garden is different than any old field because there is a gardener. And God is our gardener. Like, I love this picture of the church because so often we have an idea that the church is a man-centric. It's like what we do. Like, man, we got to, and all the stuff that we do is good. I'm not saying that's not good, but I'm like, the the focus of this metaphor is God-centric. God is the one that's in charge. He's the one that's doing everything. He's determining the outline of the garden. He's determining the rows. He's determining where the carrots go and the potatoes go and the the lettuce. He's he's the one that's in charge of well-watering it. It's God actively working in the garden for the well-being of the garden. I love this picture. And I think the church would do good to remind ourselves, wait a second, we're going to do all the things that we can do, but we are limited. Like the objective of the church, we don't have the ability to pull off. Like we need the gardener. We need the gardener to start actively working amongst us. We need to let God be God. We're... Not the gardener. He is. 
I love this picture because God wants to do amazing things if we just submit to him, rely on him, trust in him. What does he want to do amongst us? And, and what are the ways that we are hindering and stopping what he could do among us? You know, this picture of the gardener, you know what this tells me? It tells me that I'm not the gardener if he's the gardener. I'm, I'm like the lead pastor of my church. I'm not the gardener. He's the gardener. You know what this tells me? It, it tells me that I'm just a carrot. <laughs> and this is a church. Like you guys are a beautiful church and God is our gardener here at Westside. And so maybe you guys are potatoes over here. You guys are the carrots right here. You guys are the turnips over here. And that's what you are. Like, you don't get to be something that you're not. God has made you the way that you are, and you just got to say, God knows what he's doing. I don't get to be a potato. I'm, I'm a carrot, and I'm going to be happy being a carrot for the glory of God. That's okay. There's so many people chasing around trying to be, I'm like all the, I'm all the vegetables in one. No. I mean, the Bible clearly says that we're one body, individual members of one body. Like our elevation of an expectation of what God wants to do among us, he's the gardener. He wants to do beautiful things among us. And it requires that we just say, man, I'm not a potato. I'm not a tomato. I'm a carrot for the glory of God. And I'm okay with that. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Like all of us just embracing our, our gifting and our limitations and saying, you know what? Despite my limitations, God is going to do what he's going to do because he's an amazing gardener. And he's going to use me with my strengths. It's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be amazing. Let's allow God do, to do what only he can do among us. He wants to do beautiful things among us. And so it says that God is the one who guides us. God is the one who satisfies us. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the gardener. Man, I just want to be, I want us to be captivated by this because so many people are trying to figure life out. And this whole world is like, there's this desire to be satisfied. I want to be fulfilled. I want to know my purpose. I want to have meaning. I want everybody to know how special I am. So everybody is running around trying to, you know, let everybody know how special they are. And, and, and there is a, something designed within us to be known and loved and accepted for who we are. And, and there's no place that we're going to find that other than God. And so, so many people in the church are running to the wrong things, when in reality, God is building a beautiful garden, and he has a special place for you, and there's no better place to be. Like, if the church could realize this, man, I'm part of this garden. This is my identity. I'm not chasing the things of this world. I'm not getting caught up. No, I am in the world as God has intended. Now, the context of this garden is in a scorched place. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Scorched places. So where is this beautiful garden located? This well-watered garden located. It's located in a scorched place. That means it's all desert, all dry, all miserable, all hopeless. And in the middle of it is this beautiful garden that stands out unexplainable. How in the world are you so well watered? Most people polled right now say that the world is getting worse, not better. 
Most people believe that things are getting worse. Most people, as they look to the future, are feeling a greater sense of hopelessness. And this is the way that we currently live. Over the last three years, it just feels like chaos. It feels like how crazy could this world get? It is out of control. And so many people are feeling confused. They're feeling the darkness. They're feeling the hopelessness. Man, I think right now we're living in conditions that are scorched. They're dry. They're hopeless. What does God want to do? What does God want to do when everybody is so overcome and overwhelmed with the chaos and, and discouragement that the world brings? What does God want to do? He wants to plant his well-watered garden in the midst of scorched earth. And this is what God wants to do. Well, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. God wants to use us, the church, to demonstrate what God can do in the midst of a hopeless situation. This is an opportunity for the church. This isn't a time for the church to go run and hide and just trying to uh, protect ourselves. No, this is a church to get offensive and say, you know what? God is going to do what he can do. What we can't do on our own, God is going to come through. It's going to be a well-watered garden. This thing's going to be beautiful. We're going to be unified. We're all going to be playing our part. God is going to do something amazing. And those people who are hopeless and desperate, those people are longing to be satisfied in the midst of a hopeless situation, they're going to see a well-watered garden and say, that's where I want to be. I want to be planted in that garden. Yeah. God wants to do something right now. I think there's an opportunity right now for the church. All right. We good? Amen. All right. So uh, we're going to go through four R's. I mean, the preachers love this. Verse 12 gives us four R's. So that was sermon one. This is sermon two. We have four R's. And it says rebuild, repair, restore, and raise up. What is God wanting to do right now? Well, I think he's wanting to rebuild, repair, restore, and raise up. So let's just go through each one of these points quickly, and then we'll be done. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach too long. You guys okay? Ready to charge a mountain? Come on. <laughs> so verse 12 says, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Uh, for the people in, uh, of God in Isaiah's time, rebuilding meant actually rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But I believe that what God wants to rebuild is the church. New Testament tells us that the church is the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem isn't so much of a place as it is a people. And uh, I believe prophetically that God wants to rebuild the church. I believe he wants to rebuild the church. I believe he's calling his people back. I think he's calling the church back to its original intent and its purposes. Um, we need to get back to what God intended for the church. The Bible clearly teaches. And the systems and structures that have been built that are contrary to Jesus' plan need to be torn down so that the true church can be rebuilt. There's a lot of things that need to be torn down. Things that we have included, things that we have added that are contrary to the intention of Jesus. I cannot help but think if you take some of the early disciples in the, when the church initially started, 
And we're re- like, we've read the book of Acts, and we see all these amazing things. And so you just take five new believers that have been participating in the church, and you do a little Star Trek on them, and you beam them up, and then you send them to our any average church in America today. And you let them just hang out for a month, and you give them a translator device, because this is Star Trek, right? So they know the language. And, and so they're just planning in the church. And you just say, man, like, you guys, you guys started the church. You guys were at the beginning. Now, this is the church 2,000 years later. Aren't you impressed? I, I, think, I think those people would be confused. I think those people would say, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? This isn't what we started doing. I think the church has lost much of what it's supposed to be. So many critiques have been levied against the church. So many people's experience of the church has come from dysfunctional churches. I mean, I hate to say it. I say this in humility, but most of the churches in the place that we are 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 dysfunctional and broken churches. Story after story after story. Churches that should not exist. Leaders who should not be leading churches. And so much abuse is taking place and so many people are coming from just being abused and and experiencing dysfunction in the church. So many people have the wrong idea of what it means to be the church because they've been in dysfunctional churches and they don't know what health looks like. So Christians are weaker for it. The church, I don't know if you know this, the church in America, all stats say that the church is in radical decline. The people are leaving the church in mass exodus. So if we are the church of Jesus Christ in America, we need to take responsibility for our context, start ringing the alarm bell and say, there's something that needs to be done. We, God, there's something that needs to be done. We need to be listening to the voice of God, what he wants us to do. I think the church is compromised, similar to what we see in Isaiah 58. Everybody's just pursuing their own pleasure. It's all about them. It's all about me. It's all about comfort. So many churches have lowered the bar what Jesus expects from its followers. So the church, as a result, has suffered. The church is weak. The church is irrelevant. The church is ineffective. Why? Because all the Christians... The bar has been lowered to such an extent that Christians are no longer effective, and this is a problem. So many church leaders have mishandled their position for selfish gain. They've abused, they've manipulated, they've stolen. Over and over again, we hear pastors' moral failures over and over and over again. The media loves to make that a spotlight. So we want to see the un—we want to see the compromise, the unfaithful version of the church torn down. And we want to see God's pattern and purposes for the church restored. We want to be a biblical church. We want to be a New Testament church. We want to be a church of Jesus Christ where Jesus is leading his church. Jesus is building his church. We want to be a part of a movement where we see God rebuilding the church, awakening his people, renewing his people. We want to see revivals in cities because the church is effectively doing its job. We want to see a movement of healthy church plants. Multiplying of churches, churches that are strengthened. Like this, 
This is the opportunity, I believe, right now. The church needs to rise up. And so we want to see biblical churches. What does that mean? Well, let me just give you some ideas. Churches that have all of its members putting Jesus first above all other things. Not celebrity pastors, not church brands. Churches that are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not religious works and pretense. Churches that are radically submitting to God's word, not questioning God's word or making excusing, excuses for God's word or compromising God's word. Churches that are stepping out in faith and trusting God for things that God can do and only God can get the credit for. Not pragmatic churches, not man-centric churches. Churches that are empowered by his presence, not manufacturing energy or hype. Churches that find its confidence in God, not self-reliance. Churches that are expressing love and grace in G- from Jesus Christ, not judgmental and proud. Churches that boldly proclaim Christ, not timid, weak, and reluctant. Churches that are participating together as the family, not a corporation or a social club, the family of God. Churches that have all of its members rearranging and reprioritizing their lives around being the people of Christ and being the church, actively engaged and participating, serving and caring and sacrificing all for the mission of Jesus, not churches that are full of church attenders or church consumers. Churches that are making much of Jesus and being a compelling witness of Christ into their context. And we can, we can be tempted to be discouraged as we look around and feel that we're defeated. It's like, oh man, like we lost it. America's going to hell in a handbasket and, and like we just have to, you know, survive. We could have this temptation to feel defeated, but we shouldn't feel defeated. Our confidence shouldn't be shaken because Jesus is faithful to his church and Jesus will continue to build his church and he's going to build his church with people who are wholehearted and refusing to compromise. Jesus isn't going to give up on his church. He never will. If it's broken, he'll be faithful to rebuild it. Jesus is not going to quit. So our confidence is the one, Jesus, who is our rock. Jesus, who has established the church. Jesus, who builds the church. All right. You guys good? Yeah. We got three more R's. You're thinking, oh my gosh, this message is going to go forever. We'll go through these quick. I promise. Are we good? <laughs> Come on. Verse 12. You should be called a repairer of the breach. You should be called a repairer of the breach. I think this is a prophetic picture for the church right now. Walls were necessary for the security of the city. Without walls, the city would be left vulnerable, vulnerable to attack. And if it was vulnerable to attack and the people knew this, what would it cause? What would it cause if the entire city knew, hey, we are vulnerable to attack? We, yeah, it'd create insecurity, it'd create fear, it'd create anxiety. And to me, this feels like what's happening in the church today. I feel like we have allowed some breaches in the church. We've allowed some open holes. We've given access to the enemy to intimidate. And so the spirit, the mood within the church 
is the same as it is outside the church. The craziness of the world right now, that craziness has been allowed to break in to the church. Should that be the case? I don't think that should be the case. I think even in the darkest times, we have Christ. We have Jesus who will not quit, who will not fail on us. And so our security and our confidence should be rock solid. If the whole world is feeling hopelessness and confused and in chaos, surely the church should have a totally different spirit, a totally different mood. Like the zeitgeist of the culture should not be the zeitgeist of the church. It should be radically different. And the church should repair the breaches. Like the church should be the place where security is built, confidence is built, hope is restored into people's lives. It's because we're preaching Jesus. Three R. We good? Verse 12 says, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Why do we need streets? We need streets because we like each other and we want to drive to each other's houses. <laughs> Hopefully, right? I mean, that's not the dream to like be in the mountains and, and just to be a hermit all by yourself. No, you want access to people. Amen. And some people are like, no, that is my dream. I... <laughs> <laughs> Restore streets to dwell in that there's connections one with another instead of being locked in our houses individualistic fighting life on our own all of a sudden the people of God are able to be the people of God and we're able to encourage each other to do life together in intentional meaningful ways the ways that our hearts truly long for and we were designed for like Jesus makes it possible when, when the walls are rebuilt and our confidence is in Jesus, all of a sudden life happens. The well-watered garden happens. Like we experience rich and meaningful life as we all put our confidence, not in me trying to be special or me, me all about me. No, we say, man, Jesus, he's the gardener. He's taking care of us. And this is the best place to be. Rich, meaningful life together, doing life together as God's family. And this is the beautiful picture that God wants to do in the church. The church is a city within a city. It is a well-watered garden in a scorched land. Like we are completely distinct than the world. And the, the, the way that we operate, connect with each other, is beautiful. It should be so compelling that the world's going, wait a second, we're doing it wrong. The church has it right. What in a compelling witness that... That right now, Jesus wants the church to be. Verse 12, this is the last R. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. So I just want to encourage you. Like, what is God doing at Westside? Is what God's doing in Westside, is it just, you know, for this next week? for the next month. I mean, Easter's coming up next week and I'm sure it's all hands on deck. We got to build a big old tent. We got to do all kinds of stuff. We got to take care of people. And so often, like we're running around and you guys are a bunch of faithful people. And so we got to make the coffee. We got to get the sound. And like all of our energy is for this next seven days. It's like, oh man, if we could just pull off the next seven days, woo, then we'll be all right. And then we'll focus on the next seven days. It's good to be faithful. 
But what is God wanting to do with Westside? I think God wants to establish you as a community that is laying a foundation for the next generation to go even further than all of you. Where they are able to stand on your shoulders and be an expression of Jesus to this community more than you ever could. That your giftings are multiplied into the next generation. That your effectiveness is multiplied into the next generation. This church isn't existing for the next seven days. It's not existing for the next year. This church is existing for generations. And this requires, this only works if everybody sees this as a collective responsibility. We are a community that has to be strong and we have to provide a stable foundation so that the next generation is confident enough to stand on our shoulders and go further than us. And if the community now present isn't locked together, unified, hey, we're doing something that's going to last. It's going to be for the next generation, the next generation. What we're doing is eternal. And we're going to miss it. Because God wants to do incredible things. 30 years from now, what does Westside look like? I mean, Joe's going to be a lot more gray than he's complaining about right now. (laughs) And it's a beautiful picture because some of you are older. And you're thinking about retirement, taking it easy. I'm telling you, we're only here on planet Earth for a short time. And God has a purpose for you, no matter what your age is in this room. And it takes an entire community, every member of the community, takes all of us, unified, focused. Hey, we are building something here. As we allow God to be our gardener, something beautiful is happening. And we are establishing a foundation for the next generation to go further than us. You know what's going to destroy the potential of that? is if we don't see ourselves as a carrot in God's garden. I don't want to be a carrot. I want to be a potato, tomato, and a carrot. I want to be in my own garden. Now, when we are all focused and trusting God in His ability to do what He's intended to do, and we just participate at the level that we can, at the end of it, like, we don't have all the strategy. We could be smart. Joe's super smart. Your elders are smart and wise. But, like, at the end of the day, we don't have all the answers. We can't make everything happen. But we serve a God who can. He knows what he's doing. Like, we don't have all the answers right now. Like, we're going to look back 30 years from now, if we've been faithful, and say, wow, God's amazing. We never, we did like, all these connections. We never thought this was going to happen. This is amazing. God is amazing. Our confidence is in Jesus who builds his church. He's good enough. We could trust him. And we could surrender our lives to him. All areas of our lives come into alignment with what he's required of us. Would you pray with me? And we thank you for Westside. We thank you for the beautiful expression of the body of Christ that it is. Bless these people, God. Bless them. I pray, Lord, that your favor right now 
would shine upon them. God, that your blessing would be experienced by all. God, I pray, Lord, the, the awareness of scorched earth all around them, left, right, God, that they would experience your life, your living water, and they would be well watered in the midst of a scorched earth. God, use them powerfully and mightily to be a city within a city, a garden within a desert, to display your glory and your might. And use this church to mightily work and expand and to multiply into generations. In Jesus' name.